0: Dave Fryer, welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Um, I'm gonna be doing an interview today that I've been wanting to do for months. I've had a card on my board to reach out to somebody who's been part of my summer every summer for years. And the last two summers, I haven't gotten to have a conversation with this person because we weren't in the same place. And I've had like a, a wound in my soul. So I'm gonna thank Troy McGuinness for making time. It's your morning right now, right? So.
1: That's correct. I just woke up.
0: <laughs> well, Troy is, I think somebody called you like a, a gift to the Agile community. Um, and Troy does a lot of amazing stuff. We've done great interviews and always, every summer, um, one of my highlights at the Agile conference is getting to talk to Troy and find out what's going
1: on. So how have you been? I've been great, and that comment came from my mother, so I don't know how much credibility we. It came from your it. mother. No, no, no. I mean, it's someone I paid anyway. It was a paid, paid actor.
0: <laughs> well, I know that a lot of people are really grateful for you, grateful to you for all the work that you do, and I think the way you described it one time was trying to make math less scary.
1: Sure, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, try and undo all the damage done during schooling based on you know, statistics and math, uh, it leaves people terrified. And really, you know, it's just a, just another tool. And, you know, your phone does the hard stuff nowadays. You just type it into a calculator and away it goes.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, so we're gonna talk about a bunch of different things and this is a loosely planned conversation. So we're gonna also see where it goes. Um, I wanna start out with bringing up one thing that is my understanding about Agile, part of my understanding about Agile. When I talk about Scrum, I explain to people that Scrum solves the problem of getting a team to be predictable. And the company I work at, that is one of the core things. The team has to be able to make and meet commitments every single sprint. But unfortunately for many, 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 many teams out there, they don't really do that. And I wanted to first check in with you and see what you think about the idea of a team being predictable. Is that actually possible?
1: Sure. I mean, it's a great, uh, a great sort of question, and it's a very common viewpoint. Uh, agile starts off in organizations as, let's get the teams agile. And I certainly quote originally come from Klaus Leopold, where he says that agile isn't, uh, isn't a team sport, it's an organization sport. And you know, the way I like to think of it is, is even if we made our teams perfectly predictable, in other words, every piece of work they picked up, they knew exactly how long it took their team to do that would be like us having instant acceleration to 60 miles per hour, and then getting constantly stopped at traffic lights and intersections. And we, um, we, we would be sort of predictable in pieces of our process, but not predictable across the whole journey. And uh, for, I guess, the dissatisfaction of, well, I've agiled the crap out of my teams, and I still don't know what I'm gonna get next quarter comes because we haven't uh, focused largely enough on the predictability of uh, the handoffs to different dependencies between the process or external partners. And some of those aren't even in IT, getting your legal department to finish off your privacy statement. So I sort of think that uh, it's a good start, get the teams uh, to some set of predictability, getting them to understand when some pieces of work are more risky than others, but the real goal to getting an organizational agile is to start sort of chipping away at the other areas of unpredictability and sort of dependencies is what I find is the uh, pretty high hit count on the the
0: Cracks in the system. So I want to talk about that, but first I want to check in on one thing. You, You kind of sparked an idea in my head when you were talking about wanting all the teams to be predictable. I'm wondering if maybe that's where like this, this push for teams to all measure stuff the same way. If I have all my teams kind of aligned around what I've decided a point is, then I can tell them all how many things they have to do. And it's like this maybe cargo cult version of that kind of predictability, right?
1: It is. And, you know, in, in, if we look at sort of a system of flow where work is moving through a system, there's a constraint somewhere and it really doesn't matter how predictable every other team is if they're not at the constraint. And uh, so often there's a reason why at the constraint, and there is a constraint. You know, it'd be a, a lack of training, investment, uh, like a, an amount of technical debt in the code base that's accrued over time. There's a there's a constraint built in. So even getting the teams either side of that constraint perfectly predictable and fast and high performing isn't going to change the outcome at all. And we often sort of forget that. So it's not predictability of teams isn't a uniform investment that's going to bring you a predictable system as a whole okay but
0: could you have it if you fixed all the handoffs but the teams were not predictable the problem would still exist
1: it would okay you need to do both
0: both okay so so i just wanted to make sure people are hearing that that it's not you know one instead of the other you need both but I people think you need tend to, to lock both. in on the individual team thing, thinking that's going to solve all the problems.
1: So the order I would work it would be first managing the dependencies between the teams, then fix the constraint, and then fix the other teams and sort of incrementally warp uh, performance upwards from there. Uh, so, yeah, okay. I, think, I think just generally throwing Agile at a, a large number of groups of teams uh, is, is a potentially slowest way to get an organizational Agile. So I understand what you just said,
0: but I'm wondering if you can maybe kind of um, explain a little bit about the first part of what you said, because you, you you explained it in an order that would be, I think, reverse of the way a lot of people would come into this stuff thinking. But I'm also thinking what you just said would show you what you had to fix in the teams. It would. So uh,
1: I guess... the the reason i want to go after the interconnections between the teams in the first place is that there is everyone sort of has heard of that in high utilization systems delays grow exponentially so you know everyone says uh, that if you're at 100 capacity uh, the wait times are larger and that's encoded in a it's a well-known formula from from all industries in, from, I think, in the 60s and 70s about understanding flow and how uh, utilization slows down sort of work. And it's called King Kingman's Law, K-I-N-G-N-S-M-A-N-S okay. Law, Kingsman's Law. And uh, it's, it's the relationship between utilization and delay. And when you look at that formula, and you don't need to know the formula uh, verbatim, But there are two forms of variability in the system which actually cause that utilisation to have that exponential growth. And one is the cycle time of the work that you're doing. If you have high variability in the amount of time it takes you to do the work at individual step level, then that will sort of cause utilisation to have a, a large impact on delay. But equal to that is another form of variability called arrival rate. And a rival rate would be like if if we had a road that was a single lane and we put a thousand cars onto that road at an instant, there's going to be a traffic jam. But if we sort of consistently spread those thousand cars out every minute and they could clear the road quickly, there wouldn't be a traffic jam. And the reason why I think high utilization systems fail in scaled organizations is the fact that we don't manage. The consistency of the arrival rate of work onto the teams, in a in a in a even fashion. We don't try and reduce that variability. We're sort of following the lean, which is reducing the waste and making the cycle time faster for the individual steps, which would be coaching the teams in agile. But we don't sort of manage how those teams consistently hand off work to all of the other teams uh, downstream of them. So I the reason. That and that's the reason I go after those interconnections first. Okay. Is I want to make the, I want to reduce the variability of huge, urgent packets of work. Just big batches being thrown downstream, and, yeah. and we live that in the waterfall world, right? We live that where let's just get all the development done. Now let's hand it
0: to testing. Dump it on QA at the end. Yeah. Dump
1: it on QA at the end. So it's not like this is a, this is a new concept. But in scaled organizations now who want to do agile well, I think we have to start finding a way to incrementally feed important work through that system and manage that variability. And that's been a gap. Okay. Uh, it's been a gap in tooling. It's been a gap in education. It's been a gap in uh, the the understanding that that uh, even if we fix teams, yeah. would it have an impact we wanted?
0: So I have a question about this. and. It's going to take me a second to get there. When I first started working in offices, I worked for this guy. um, And his whole drive every day was get it off my desk. Like anything that was his inbox, he had to get it off his desk as fast as possible. So flow was really important to him. But there was no consideration of where it went after the outbox. And that sounds to me at an individual level, like a parallel to what you're talking about at the team level within the organization. Like my team finishes stuff, we send it to your team, and I'm like, I don't care about Troy's team. I'm done. We finished our thing. He's got to fix it. But should if, if it's, I'm feeding work to your team, shouldn't my team be thinking about the rate at which it's flowing to your team and whose job would it be to watch that stuff?
1: Yeah, so the, if we go back into the history of the people who have sort of done this well, uh, you know, the job is to uh, not finish a piece of work. The job is to not start the work until there's a chance that when you finish it, it will be pulled downstream. So that's the sort of just-in-time oh. style of manufacturing. Okay. So so it gets down to sort of the signaling that we're going to have capacity on the team after me uh, to do this work. Now, that meant your your sort of colleague there shouldn't have really started the work until he knew there was a chance that there was going to be capacity downstream when he finished his piece of it. Okay. Why do we want to do that? Because if something more urgent comes along in the meantime, he's not going to do the more urgent thing because he's already started the lower urgency thing. Right. So by prematurely just pulling work through your part of the system, what you're doing is you're decreasing your ability to choose a more expensive cost of delay option and get that, flowing through the system faster, uh, you know, in preference, yeah. should it be required. So, uh, you know, it, it so the starting of unagreed priority or urgency work is one of the biggest missing gaps I see in our teaching of Agile. Um, you know, we sort of say, just pull it from the top of the backlog. And if that was working, we wouldn't see team swamp with unplanned work. And what unplanned work really means is, crap, something more important come along, and we've got to do it as (laughs) well. And -hmm. I would have liked to see the capacity, I would have liked to see sort of fewer starting in anticipation of uh, some unplanned urgent work.
0: I don't think that anybody would argue that what you're saying doesn't make sense, but it does seem to sound a little bit dissonant when you compare it to the idea of everybody being 100% utilized all the time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, if, while we're focusing on utilization of people, we're not focusing on the uh, on the actual improvement of flow through the system and that stuff. I mean, I love the book. You know, this is lean. I think by Nicholas Modig and I forget the other fellow's name. I don't think I could pronounce it in polite company. But that that book, this is lean. If you look at it, it's a great book to hand to executives and management because it spells out the dissonance between you know, trying to have busy people versus yeah. uh, maximum flow of work and value. So you can um, kind of
0: choose one or the other. You want everybody to be constantly doing stuff or do you want stuff to flow through the system faster? In which case, you need a little open space on the highway.
1: Well, if there is an imbalance between the two, uh, then your organization just isn't structured to do the type of work it's now being asked to do. Okay. Um, so by, by actually not observing the lack of utilization and and reacting to it. Uh, what we're really doing is missing the signal that, uh, we're just haven't, um, you know, we've got a constraint in the system where we haven't dealt with. So, uh, I like to see the, uh, the low utilization as a, as a signal of we've got a constraint. Great. We've now identified it and can fix it. So, um, you know, you, these constraints change. It's not like in the in the manufacturing world, constraints were always pretty stable. There was a machine, which was the constraint or a, a step process yeah. or a manual step in the process, which is the constraint. But every time we pull a different backlog or choose a different technology stack or do decide to do an integration with a new partner, we stress our systems in a different way and the constraints shift around a little bit. So given that we have that, nature of our work um, we shouldn't be reacting too fast to this team's a little bit less idle and uh, this team's a little bit more idle than yeah. I would like them to be uh, that should be well uh, can they help out somewhere else could I retrain them or maybe next week they'll be the busiest team again so it's um, it, yeah I mean it's just adult management and we just have to realize that uh, different types of work and technology that we pull through stress our systems in a different way. And not everyone can be the constraint at any moment in time, but you need to know where it is. And that's what I think we need to focus on.
0: So if this was a manufacturing plant, I would assume that there's some manager or form person or something like that whose job it is to track flow through the system. But if we're talking about software or knowledge work, that's not a role that I've ever heard anybody talk about. No. It's I mean, not. people could call you. <laughs> you could call, could have called Larry back when he was doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's some other people probably that I don't know about, but I mean, there's nobody that's like the scientist of flow in knowledge work at a company. Should we have that?
1: Oh, I think it's all of us. We all have to do it. Um, okay. I mean, we, if you look at sort of the stuff that uh, you know, Donald Ryanson sort of expouses, he tried to connect the dots between that and 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 our type of knowledge work, you know, in the principles of product development, flow and software factory, and so forth. And and you know, his way of making it visible was the first step. Yeah. Uh, and to make it visible, you know, you 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 put a column or a buffer there, and uh, you sort of have it, you, you observe it, and and as that buffer gets increasing higher it means that you're, you're uh, the constraint is you've you've found the constraint right. um, but you know you don't want zero you, you don't want to have it a buffer empty but you don't want to have it full so you know in the manufacturing world they were very attuned to watching those signals of uh, of where work is sitting idle uh, and uh, using that data as, a, as an indicator of uh, crap. And but that, that's almost do like do
0: putting dye in a system to see where it turns dark to find the infection.
1: A- Absolutely. And we put real work through. So our yeah. dye should just be sort of observing observing the work flowing through. But shouldn't and, we have
0: a more elegant version of that?
1: I mean, I guess in the early but, days there, the cumulative flow diagram was trying to be that uh, that device to show us where... Uh, Buffer states and yeah. work was sitting idle and growing, um, but you know no one. Yeah, there's no way to whole, see it before it exists. Well, I think Adam Urret once sort of said in a manufacturing workshop, you know, if the transmissions are being made faster than being installed into the car, then you start tripping over transmissions in the centre of the workshop. You know, sort of, yeah. ow I kicked my toe again. Better do something about that. But there is nothing to kick our toe on in knowledge work. Uh, so we need to um we need to cause some pain uh around <laughs> so, around these these sort of um yeah this inventory sitting idle and sitting stationary. Uh and that's sort of a that's a that's a big gap in our tooling. Our tooling uh sort of says that there's a state on it that sort of says it's in progress. But it doesn't tell us it's in progress but not being worked on, or it's in progress and not not work, not yeah, not moving.
0: optimized, yeah.
1: Um, and I think you know there is some. I mean, you mentioned sort of Dan Vacanis' work earlier. I mean, he's got yeah. the aging chart, which sort of says, yeah, I'd expect it to be further on in the process now than it is. Um, and I sort of uh, in my sort of spreadsheets, I color code work in progress by age to try and sort of show that yeah, not all work in progress is the same. Yeah. Some is. Someone's been here for a while and you should do something about it. Um, and I just think that um, that's the missing gap in organizational flow okay. is for us to highlight when work isn't moving. It's, it's sort of the dark matter that we need to highlight. Um, so that,
0: that sounds to me like one of those things in the field that we're in where it's not solved yet.
1: It's not and it's easier to train teams in Scrum than it is yeah. to train <laughs> organizations in Flow. Yeah. Uh, and and it does take a leap of faith that's made in many, many other industries yeah. about not focusing on 100% utilization of our staff. It's about sort of um, balancing and understanding the constraints of our system. Uh, so we've just got a bit of growing up to do there. Uh,
0: to me, that's one of the things about this area that's so that we work in. It's so much, it's just so exciting is that the more sophisticated and elegant we seem to get, the more meat fisted and just ignorant, it seems like we are, there's so many problems we haven't even found yet or figured out how to solve yet
1: yeah it's true and and they always will be I mean that's uh why it's a great being in this industry yeah but you know what comes down to that heavy-handed meat-headed management style get to 100 percent utilization is just pure frustration why isn't anything done yet yeah <laughs> why did we go through all this effort of planning what was going to be delivered this quarter and out of the ten things we said we needed we got one of them you know, that that pure frustration uh, just leads to, well, I'll just take control of it myself and tell you what to do. And that just exacerbates it even more, right? Because yeah. we've got high utilization, highly uncertain arrival rates, cycle times in interconnected teams where no one really, everyone's marching to their own drum on prioritization and urgency. Um, so
0: if I'm, if I'm an executive in a company or somebody, you know, maybe high up in a PMO that has been watching us try to get agile off the ground, maybe we've been through a couple rounds of training and stuff kind of like sort of happens and then it doesn't really work and we start falling back into our old habits. If they want to be able to see where the constraints are and see the gaps between so they can figure out what thing needs to be fixed? Like how would somebody go about discovering that if they don't have a background steeped in kind of flow and things like that?
1: It's a it's a, it's a, a great question. I mean, there are two tools I see borrowing from other industries. Um, restaurants have a job function called an expediter, which stands between the front of the house and the kitchen. Yeah. And their job is to just make sure that all of the plates for a table and the right table in order are done, ready to be served all at once, and out it goes. So you know we have we don't have an expediter in in the agile sort of uh, world. Uh, we sort of quasi sort of delegate it to a group of people called a scrum, a scrum's meeting, or a, you know an agile release train sort of type sort of type thing, which. Which we're making the baby steps of realizing that um, it something is of value only when the whole table is served. And the table in our case is a whole feature, gets makes it all the way to production. Okay. Um, so there is that side of it. But of course, you know, me being on the maffy giggy data side, you know, I don't I think we start needing to capture the data about why work is blocked and isn't moving rather than what work we need to do. Uh, and after doing that. For every organization I've consulted to, which is started off being every giving every developer a a set of square post-it notes and sort of saying every time you get blocked by someone from completing a piece of work, can you write it down on here what the root cause was? And analysing those post-it notes. And then more recently, I built a software product that that sort of helps capture, I'm blocked. I cannot finish this because of these reasons. Right. And some of those reasons are valid, great business reasons. Something more important came along. So I stopped working on that, and I started working on this. Um, but we need to start looking at how often that happens and how we can avoid that, or and was that the right prioritization of switching task decisions, or was it just because I liked the person that sent the email? Yeah and uh, so that so, you know, I think, <laughs> my go-to there would be to start analyzing the blocker data and to start encouraging developers to and everyone to start sort of capturing when something can't be started that should be and when something is started but they have to change their focus onto something else because of a reason i want to know those reasons and i want to fix those reasons
0: and then and then after you have uncovered a bunch of those, then they're going to teach you, I would think, we need to set up, if it's, if it's agile, we're going to set up around Scrum or Kanban or whatever, but you're going to pick a form that's most closely aligned with the problems that you're actually facing instead of first deciding, we need ski boots, and then figuring <laughs> out what you're going to do with them. Yeah.
1: Okay. You're sending my blood pressure very high. Because, <laughs> because I, I, this is our industry as a whole, right? I and mean, we yeah. we jump in with solutions before we really understand the problem. And you know, even by you don't even have to capture the reasons work gets blocked for very long. You could do it for a week or two, and your data is going to pretty much show you the top three or four teams which struggle to have dependency connections with each other, and the top three or four reasons why work needlessly is sitting idle. And I already know the number one reason works It's idle because when I get blocked, I didn't tell anyone. Or when I got blocked, I told someone and they forgot the, that they're blocking me. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's just, it's just, it's just, we don't communicate.
0: Well, we um, don't want to look like we dropped the ball. I mean, like I work with a guy who would say everything was fine and then work eight extra hours at night to get unblocked and then come in exhausted the next day.
1: Yeah, but I haven't worked with you for a long time, and that time of my life is over <laughs> But Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a problem, and it makes it inconsistent because I've lost data. Yeah. Because now it looks like the team can hit a certain throughput and delivery timeline, and they can't. So that means when we plan next quarter, we're just making that problem worse and worse and worse and worse because now it becomes a mandatory expectation that they work eight extra hours to get this stuff done. Yeah. So this, when when we're capturing data under stress like that, or and using that data to forecast in the future, all we're doing is ensuring that the system is going to be under stress plus plus, new programming language, uh, in the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So I had this weird weird question. I might edit this part out. I'm going to just start by saying that I'm wondering if. If we took all those people that spend their days coming up with algorithms and collecting data around making people buy crap online, making sure the ads you get are the only ones that you should see to make you buy that shirt that you don't need, if we took half those people and made them turn their focus on how work is flowing through the system and the companies they work for, would that start to maybe find some of the stuff for these companies? Are they the right kind of? I mean, is it the right kind of mindset? I guess is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the whole idea of the people who do the machine learning and the algorithms around targeting advertisements or targeting um, what increases the chances of something happening, you click on something to buy it. Yeah, uh, are exactly this, you know, the same skill sets that are required to sort of saying this is the biggest problem that would have the biggest benefit should you choose to fix it. Um, but our, we're not, tr- ours is easier because what they're trying to divine from a large amount of data is people's purchasing preferences based on where they live in their lifestyle factors.
0: Yeah,
1: We've actually got a system, which, which we've got these sentinel pieces of work flowing through that we can actually watch sit still. So, uh, sure. There's some aspect of it, which is individual people's decisions and we yeah. could give them a better decision criteria to make those decisions in a more consistent way i.e priority and urgency or something like that but mostly uh it's it's by design we've designed into our systems constraints that made sense in a certain era but no longer makes sense and sometimes making sense means it's just easier to hire people who have a certain skill set, and it's hard to hire people who have another skill set, and that other skill set is the one we need more of. Uh, but it still gets down to someone identifying it. So I think those people would laugh at the simplicity of the problem we've omitted <laughs> fixing. But
0: they don't even see. I guess that's that's the thing. I'm thinking about the fact that, I mean, whenever we talk, I, I feel like I've become more aware of how much – opportunity is left in the space. And when I hear people say stuff like, you know, Agile's over or Scrum is over or whatever's over, that's like saying that the fork is over, the spoon is over. I mean, those are just tools. There's so many other areas that we haven't even started to scratch at, that are places where we can get better and improve and solve things. And I mean, there's so much to do.
1: Yeah, we better get to it. <laughs> and uh, I like like i uh, I, th- I see some positive signs in the industry about people working this stuff out. Um, you know, I guess uh, uh, the flight level stuff from Klaus Leopold sort of puts a lot of emphasis up on the top level there that sort of says, maybe we should be more considerate about what we choose to throw into the system that's congested. <laughs> so let's okay. let's actually sort of plan, take take a step back and stop starting stuff and and really understand and reflect on is this going to cause an outcome we want and being a bit more discriminative about sort of choosing what we start and then sort of uh once it is started coordinating the crap out of it to get it through these systems um so i think that stuff is good Uh, and even you know uh the safe world it it's sort of at least it put a, a, a some highlight on the fact that there is a set of backlogs that have to be coordinated together and that these groups of people are going to have to coordinate. I, I, they've got some room for improvement, but they, they at least sort of highlight some of the problems. Yeah. But I think it's simpler than that. None of those, uh, you know, what we the, the gap still is, and there's always a gap in measurement. There's a gap of the things we're not measuring, and um, and I think at the moment we're just not accurately measuring enough the reasons works its idle, and determining should we fix those, and I don't think we're um, looking at urgency of starting work at an organizational level, I think we're sort of still delegating it to each team to make a local choice and decision, a local product owner to make a choice and decision. And I think we need to be better at coordinating um, an organizational outcome rather than just the little local excellent 10X teams.
0: So do you have a technique for prioritization or defining urgency that you're kind of favoring at the moment?
1: Yeah, mine is pretty Pretty simple. Uh, I mean, I think. Uh, other than Moscow. <laughs> other than Moscow, <laughs> um, which was, a, I think, terrible process. Don't use it. But <laughs> it was on the right track. It had the right intentions. It's just poorly executed. Um, you know, I, I used to try and encourage people to go off and do a lot of work, sort of coming up with exact cost of delay, because, like, I'm a spreadsheet geek, right? Yeah. Oh, we should be able to quantify this. And it, and it, it becomes unusable. What really is important is knowing what is the next thing that we should start when we have capacity to start it and why. So I, I think a very quick grouping of things we know we must do, uh, and then the next set of things that, uh, are, are going to come up with, uh, that we need to do and things that we've skipped over for the last 10 years are going to skip over for the next 10 years. We should delete them. But what I'm trying to do just by getting people to just group into those first two buckets. Of gold work that we know we're going to they're going to jump the queue. Your chest pains coming into an ER, right. right? I mean, there's 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 people who jump the queue because the cost of delay of seeing that patient has a has dire consequences. So I wanted us to do the same with our organisation. So I want us to know what constitutes the type of work that will and should jump the queue above everything else. And I want to know how many of those things we can do at once. And they're the only things I should guarantee at a business level will make it through. Um, So we'll get a couple of things, which are the chest pains in our organization and maybe three or four other things. I want you to focus on making sure you know that the three or four other things that are ready to go are the right three or four other things. I don't want you to do math on everything because it's just a waste of time. But just the next couple. Just the next couple. I want you to do. I want you to be able to give me the reasons why and why not. That should be the next thing that we start and start discussing that at an organizational level as as a as a way of teaching everyone what is urgent to our business and why.
0: Okay. So Uh, I want to. I want to say this again. And then I'm going to segue to the other topic we were going to talk about, unless there's something that you want to add. No, go for But the, the thing that, that Troy just said that's really important, if you want to have like a takeaway from this, is what jumps the queue and how many of those things can you do at a time? And always that's have right. a couple of things that are ready in your pocket. So um, to me, that sounds like a good segue
1: into, well,
0: is there anything else you want to say on this subject before we
1: move no, on? No, I mean, if I could just tell you to do, if I could tell you not to do one thing, yeah. It's prioritize everything because you're not going to get to everything. And it's just a complete utter waste of time. The, as the further down the backlog you get, even in an organizational level of options, that stuff is not going to be started next. So you need to be really, don't go dot voting on a backlog, even a portfolio backlog. It makes no sense whatsoever. Start understanding and anticipating how many uh, you know how many things you truly can get done in a quarter and have done before, and focus on just making sure that they're roughly in the right start order, and then focus on when you start them, not when they're going to finish. Always focus on the starting of them. And okay. Don't don't go doing everything.
0: And if they want to get a better sense of what is causing some of the things to get stalled, they can go to blockedapp.com. To learn more about the tool that you've built, which is free for at team level, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. So I so blocked app, uh is just a it's just it's a browser based app, or you can install it on your phone. Uh, as a phone app, and what it lets anyone do is create a blocker on a team. I'm blocked by Legal because I don't have the privacy policy text. And what it does, Dan, is it Slack messages, it sends emails, it uh, sends reminder <laughs> emails, and it gives you analytics about what are the reasons teams are getting blocked and what teams are getting blocked on what teams? And with the idea being that you very quickly can fix those top three or four problems, which are causing 80% of your delay times, at least get the data on it. Uh, And I know it's unsexy. I know it's not sort of capturing the work that we want to do. It's capturing the reasons that work isn't flowing, but that is an important amount of data that, you know, that you Well, need that's
0: seeing those energy. gaps that you were just talking about in between the teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's what it's focusing on.
0: Okay, cool. So I want to talk about urgency and, and the thing that you've been doing in your classes from, you know, from what happened. Um, I'm just wanted to give you a minute to talk about that.
1: Oh, great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had a bit of a scare, uh, three or four months ago where my son was found unresponsive in our living room, uh, and, yeah, you know, we, we sort of didn't have a big plan, but we had a plan. You know, I would sort of deal with my son and why my wife sort of called the ambulance and we already knew his medication and had it printed out. We already knew, uh, what we would need to take if we had to go rush off to hospital, uh, urgently, and we had a very good outcome. Um, I knew how to do CPR and it worked. So I'm just sort of saying and just reminding everyone there that why all this agile stuff is important, just remember that in a family setting, you are likely going to be the first responder. So just uh, consider watching a YouTube video and doing CPR and just sort of talk about with the rest of your family members what you would do if you wanted into a room and found a family member unresponsive because you just may need it one day, even though you just love spreadsheets and data. Sometimes... <laughs> there's more to life that you need to focus on. So I sort of been in my training courses during the breaks or whatever, having just a couple of YouTube videos that people can watch on their own, just to um, just to try and uh, say that the, you don't have to do much to make a big impact. Yeah. Uh, I certainly <laughs> didn't know ex- my form was not perfect, but it was enough. It was so enough. We had a great outcome. Uh, and I just want to make sure that people don't uh, forget that uh, stuff is worth knowing.
0: Yeah, well, if you send me links to the videos, I can include them as well. And, and I also just want to mention like having a plan with your family. Like, I mean, that's part of that story is that you you knew a little bit about how to do CPR, but you also had a plan with your wife for what you were going to do if something like this happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, we knew the neighbors. We knew the neighbors who were retired nurses. We knew the neighbors which, you know, um, had cars in case we couldn't get our cars down. Like, we just had a very, very basic, loose plan. And why does it help? Because when you're in stressful situations, uh, sometimes it's good to have some something pre thought out because you're not going to be thinking very clearly at the time. Yeah. You need
0: something to do, but you can't process information well enough in those circumstances to be able to come up with the plan. Yeah. So it gives you a way to avoid the panic by doing productive things to stay busy and, and hopefully, like you know, in your case, having a very positive impact. Uh, well, thank, thank you for sharing that story. I appreciate you doing it. And hopefully, if you're listening, you'll watch the videos and it will maybe save a life in, in the future for you. Um, all right. Now, what if people want to get in touch with you, Troy? What's the best way to do that?
1: Oh, uh, I have a focused objective.com. Uh, is my website for the training on, on uh, forecasting and metrics. Uh, and blockdap.com, BlockedApp.com, B-L-O-C-K-E-D-A-P-P.com uh, is uh, an application which tracks blockers. I wish I'd sort of named it something different, but BlockedApp is what it is. <laughs> and uh, it uh, lets you capture blockers. It shows different teams a prioritized list for their team. Uh, and it sort of uh, does the communication reminding and initial notifications that let people who don't use Jira know that you're blocked on them, which is a big aspect of delays. People just just, forget they're blocking. I just want to
0: mention that when he says he's got a website called Focus Objective, it's more like a treasure chest. If you're trying to find tools to understand what's going on with the work that you're doing, uh, a massive repository of stuff that Troy has created and makes freely available to people who want to get better at getting the work done. So definitely check that out. And thank you very much for doing this. It was really great to talk to you.
1: Hey, no problem. Let's do it again in two years' time.
0: Oh, well, hopefully we'll get to see each other at some point at a conference. Hopefully.
1: Yeah. <laughs>